I don't know if you guys have ever seen a wombat breed, but you guys need to look it up. Um, there's a lot of noise. It's a little aggressive, actually. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, 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 and welcome back to an international episode of the Rasafari Podcast. Uh, so as most of you all probably know by now, um, I am living part-time in Philly still and then part-time in the Buffalo, New York area. Uh, Zoe has a vet job up here, and so I spend lots of time up here when I'm not in Philly or on the road. And so one of the interesting things that I have discovered about Buffalo is like, I love the Buffalo Zoo. It's great. Aquarium at Niagara is incredible. But also, y'all, I am real close to the Toronto Zoo. It's like about a two hour and 15 minute drive to get to the zoo. Crazily enough, um, because of how lakes work, because, you know, the Great Lakes separate Canada from the U.S., I'm actually only like 58 miles from Toronto, but um, unfortunately, you can't fly across that lake uh, as a human, so it, it actually, you drive around it. Um, it's, it's a little frustrating to see the distance and realize that you have to drive twice that, but it is worth it to go to one of the best zoos in the world. The Toronto Zoo constantly is in the list when people ask me for my like top five facilities, and frankly, that's because it's it's just incredible there. I, I actually think I need to do some more episodes there because there is just so much awesome stuff to share. And um, in this case, I decided that it was time to go back and do a bit of a follow-up. So one of my earlier episodes was with Lisa Termini, who is a keeper there, and uh, she works in the Australasia department, and we spent a lot of time talking about red pandas. And um, I thought, you know, now would be a cool time to follow up with Lisa and, and see if she wanted to do it again. And she's very busy and was very supportive of the pod, but was not able to take the time to do it again. But she recommended someone on her team, Robert Ng. And Robert was an incredible guest. I cannot wait to share this story with you. Um, there's just there's just a lot of good here. And and honestly, there's some some tough too. I'm not gonna call it bad, but tough. Because see, when I reached out to Lisa and then Robert about doing this podcast, it was to celebrate the birth of Dash, also known as hashtag baby spice, um, a red panda cub that was born at the zoo in 2022. And um, we were all really excited about. And unfortunately, Dash passed away. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I sent an email to Robert and to Lisa, um, not at all mentioning the podcast, because in a moment like that, who cares? Um, but just, you know, expressing my condolences and, and sending love. And uh, I believe when Robert responded, he was like, by the way, you know, let me know when you want to schedule this episode. And I was honestly very impressed by that and also a little shocked and um, also really happy. And we talked a little bit and I asked, you know, is it cool if we can share this story and what it was like? And, and he said, yes. So um, you're going to get to hear about some really incredible animals on this episode. You're going to hear about tree kangaroos. You're going to hear about red pandas, fly river turtles, wombats, uh, a possibly mythical and not real echidna. Um, it's really cool. But also, you're going to hear a lot about loss and grief and compassion fatigue and what it is like for a team to come together and handle something like that. And uh, it's, a, it's an extra cool story here because the Toronto Zoo did such an amazing job. You're going to hear why this is one of my favorite zoos in the world. And I'm excited to share that with you. But first, just a, a quick reminder that you, you should be hitting subscribe. It really helps people find the podcast if you rate and uh, if you leave a review, that's even cooler. But just go give it a little five star thing on whatever app you listen to. It takes almost no time and makes a huge difference uh, in my world and in helping people find the podcast. 
Also, make sure you're following along on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Rossafari, or uh, on TikTok, at Rossafari Pod. And uh, okay, let's, let's get to this. Here is my interview with Robert Ng of the Toronto Zoo. All right, so why don't we start off by you telling me who you are, where you work, and what you do here. So my name is Robert, and I'm a keeper here at the Toronto Zoo. So specifically, I work in our Australasia Pavilion, so I look after all the animals within the pavilion. A lot of them are native to Australia, um, but our area actually also oversees the Amur Tigers as well as the Red Pandas. So yeah, all you of that. Do. <laughs> yes, I remember when I first came to the Toronto Zoo, and there, and I know they're not there anymore, but there was a tree kangaroo and red pandas right in the same space, along with um, fly river turtles, which oh, are yes, just yes. a species I adore. And I was like, "This is heaven! <laughs> I love it here." Um, so yeah, let's uh, we'll, we'll get to all of the animaly things, but tell me a little bit about you. What's your history, and like, how did you first decide you wanted to work with animals? Yeah, I think it kind of comes from when I was in high school. I would like volunteer at vet clinics, so I knew I wanted to do something with animals. I had some interest there, and my first kind of path was to be a vet. And so I went to the University of Guelph, which here in Toronto is we have a University of Guelph, which has the vet college there. So my aim was always to be a vet, and the reason I chose to go to Guelph was, you know, I feel like a lot of animal like-minded people would be there. And to get into vet school, obviously, you need to have a lot of experience. So whether it's volunteering, um, just getting different animal experience. So I did all my experience through that. But it was through doing those different experiences that I kind of developed more of my passion for it. So I feel like the biggest thing for me kind of getting into it was that we have a Toronto Wildlife Center here. And for one of my summers, I did an internship there. It was a rehabilitation internship for wildlife and I live here in the city I'm such a city boy and I remember the first time I saw my first turkey vulture I was like what is that like like it flew away but I could see like a carcass on the ground and I was so intrigued so I did the internship and it really like solidified like a lot more things it made me feel much more in tune with where I'm living but I kind of learned I'm like how do I like tell that story to people because obviously there were a lot of things that like we can do to help a lot of the wildlife that we have here and it kind of like all panned out really well because at the University of Guelph there's this really great program called the Wild Ontario where we had they had some non-releasable raptors where you would care for them you would do training but you'd also do a lot of outreach with them so I kind of got into that and that kind of really fostered the initial love for like not just working with animals but like talking with people and then from there on I kind of Worked at different places, got different experiences, and I did apply for vet school. Unfortunately, did not get in. The grades were super competitive. Fair. But I kind of found, like, that was kind of a blessing in disguise because I think for me, like, being able to talk to people is so important and sharing small stories and experiences and building relationships with animals. That has been such a huge reinforcer for myself. And I feel like the career that I have right now kind of combines everything that I love as an individual and kind of, like, has brought me to where I am right now. Yeah. That's very cool. And uh, I can tell that you are into training because you just used the word reinforcer when talking about yourself. <laughs> tell me your trainer without telling me your trainer. I'll go first. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Very cool. Um, so was your you, have you always been at the Toronto Zoo like since you graduated? And stuff? No. So I actually have been around a couple of places here. So I worked at African Lion Safari for a little bit. I was at uh, the Mountsburg Raptor Center as well. That's in Conservation Halton. So another uh, raptor center there. Um, but a huge part of my career and kind of focal point was being at the Toronto Zoo, but then actually working at Natural Encounters Incorporated. I don't know if you've heard of that, but I worked for NEI. And no, it was super awesome. But um, I was there for around two years and a half. So I worked at their Winged Encounters team at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Nice. So we had a conversation earlier about like me being a bird nerd, and that kind of really just like blew my bird nerd dreams to like like the highest level possible. It was such an amazing opportunity and it was a really wonderful job. That's awesome. Yeah. Talk about it a little bit. I mean, we got time. We're not, we're not in yeah. a rush here. So, so I think <laughs> what drew me to that position was I was actually at IAATE, mm -hmm. um, the International Avian Trainers and Educators Association. Um, and they have conferences every year, kind of like you would have like in a zoo conference, but they were presenting about like what they were doing at, Disney, where they were free-flying these macaws, like, literally just, like, opening up, like, the biggest aviary and free-flying, like, 30 at a time. And I was like, how? Like, like that to me was terrifying. Like, how could you just let animals, like, out like that, right? But seeing, like, the training that they put into it, and, like, during that time, I had kind of just started my career, and I was really interested in training. And I kind of was like, I want to learn 
from the best. I really want to develop these skills. I really want to be like the best I can be because I feel that, and this is just my opinion, but like if I'm a better trainer, then I can help better provide for the animals that I take care of. So I was very drawn to that. And I was like, I have to go there. So it ended up working well enough that like I got to meet the team there. Um, they had an opening. So I interviewed for it and I was lucky enough to get one of the positions. So I literally, I kid you not, I like packed two suitcases didn't even tell my parents I was applying for this job <laughs> and until I like got the offer and I was like, yep, I'm going to Florida. And they're like, okay. So I literally moved there with two suitcases and I like never looked back. So it was a really great opportunity. Again, learning from Steve, the entire team as well. Like just how you think about training and working with animals that makes it just like troubleshooting it and just like critically thinking and like, how can we always make it better? Um, really has kind of, defined who I am as an individual and like coming back here to the Toronto Zoo I've been able to bring back those experiences and apply that knowledge to the animals that I work with now like they're not macaws per se but as long as you understand behavior it pretty much applies to any animal that you work with absolutely that's that's really cool that you got to do that um and what was it what was it like down there i mean tell me about your experience was it a, was it a good time not just work obviously you enjoyed the work yeah, and, but like you're you know you're doing shows you're you're at a pretty darn famous place tell me about yeah that. um so it was i'll definitely say it was like the it was like a dream job for sure like the environment there was so great like you were at um disney and just like everyone there's always in like such a great mood again everyone's there for their vacation and i kind of just felt the need to always wanting to help make the guests have a better experience as well so it was just great to like have get to go to work be at disney but also my team there was so supportive and just like a huge part of who i am they've really like opened up myself and just like being who I am as an individual and just being like very comfortable with that. So I'm really appreciative of my time there. Um, and Florida was really great. It was really hot. Like that was the only downside I would have to say, like there would be days where it would like rain and then you'd expect it to get cooler, but then literally you see steam rising from like the theme park and I'm just like, what's happening. So like you would be sweating nonstop. Um, that was probably like, like the only downside I would have to say, but other than that, like it was amazing. Like the people there were really great and it just, I loved being challenged and I felt like I was challenged every single day. So yeah, I loved it. That's really awesome. Yeah. Uh, very cool. All right, cool. So that is, uh, that's probably enough on your past because we are here to talk about the Toronto Zoo. Um, so let's get into it. So you're in Australasia, which uh, I'm pretty smart. I'm going with Australia and Asia. Yep, you're uh, correct. Nailed it, nailed it. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, how long have you been working in Australasia? So this will actually be a year. So I started back in January 1st of 2022. Oh. So I'm rounding up a year now. Okay, very cool. So we'll get to some of the current animals in a minute, but I have to ask you about one of my heart animals, uh, who's no longer here, is now at Brookfield Zoo, but Puzzle the Tree Kangaroo. Oh, Puzzle. Puzzle. I love Puzzle. I even have a stuffed tree kangaroo named Puzzle <laughs> after Puzzle. Um, tell me about Puzzle. I love, I love. I yeah, love she was very interesting to work with. Again, I've never worked with a tree kangaroo before, like her personality and just like, to me, she was, like, the living embodiment of a real Pokemon. Like, I, I love Pokemon. <laughs> yes, and I do too. <laughs> I, like, see her and I'm like, she's a Pokemon. Um, But, yeah, just getting to know who she was as an individual. Like, very curious about a lot of things. Um, Very food motivated as well. So, I remember, you know, when we... um, I didn't personally do training with her. But just, like, feeding her and doing, like, encounters with her when we had some guests. Um, She was really great for that as well. Um. A huge thing that we kind of worked through with her was for her, like, um, getting brows is really important. So before that, she we found that she had, like, diarrhea ever so often. And we found that sometimes, like, if there were loud noises, that might, like, stress her out a little bit. So um, when we started implementing more brows, like, she already got brows, but we kind of, like, changed it up. We had one of our keepers attend a tree kangaroo uh, SSP programming and we kind of got that information so once we were able to give her more brows like we saw like kind of a change in her personality where she was getting a lot more comfortable being a lot more like um comfortable with like even the noises that come on as well and i found like for her like i love taking photos too and a huge part of my reinforcer is getting to be with these animals and building those relationships um i felt she was super photogenic and that yeah she was very you would have to be i was very sensitive working with her just because I knew she had a couple of things that would set her off, whether it was a hose or whatnot. So it really challenged me to be very 
hypervigilant of my environment at all times. If there was trimming on going on outside, the first thing that would pop to my mind was puzzles. So working with her was really, really amazing. And the fact that like, she was just such a unique species. Like I don't know really how to describe it. Like she's a marsupial, but the tree kangaroos are just a little bit different. They really are. Yeah. I've gotten to meet uh, a few of them now and, and spend some time with different tree kangaroos and it's, it's amazing how different their personalities are, like, you know, tree kangaroo to mm-hmm. tree kangaroo, but also just how unique and, yeah, it doesn't get old spending time with them yes. and just, yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I was very bummed. Uh, Puzzle originally was slated to go to Roger Williams Park Zoo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have contacts there and have hung out with their tree kangaroos and literally was like, when you get Puzzle and when Puzzle <laughs> is out of quarantine, I'm coming and hanging out with Puzzle, okay? And they're like, okay. And then with COVID stuff, that couldn't happen. Mm-hmm. And now she's at Brookfield. And I have some connections at Brookfield and I'm, I'm going to try and swing it. But it was like, yeah. I when I found out that she was going to the zoo where I like knew people and have met tree kangaroos, I was like, oh, this is going to be the best because Puzzle is just like a hard animal to me. I yeah. Just, yeah. I really love her. And I guess if you've only been here uh, for, for that long, you didn't know Collins. Who was no, I didn't know Collins, but I knew of him. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, like we were like, again, it was sad that she was leaving for Brookfield, but we understood like for her, like it would be great if she could eventually one day hopefully have Joey's there. So I'm really excited for her in that new adventure. It's always bittersweet. I think that's the hardest part too, is when you like lose yeah, an animal course, to like yeah. whatever. But yeah, she was really great. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. Um, and let's let's talk about some of the uh, some of the current animals here. So, um, you know, let's let's stay in the pavilion for a minute um, and and tell me about just some of the different species and individuals there. Yeah. So our pavilion is pretty big, and working here, like you work with pretty much every single taxonomy you can possibly think of. So we have again, being in Australia, we have our um, our kangaroos or our western gray kangaroos we also have our bennett's wallabies as well so i think our mob right now is currently eight kangaroos four wallabies uh we also have our two wombats as well and yeah, they've do. been really cool so we have arthur and matilda um we also have annie who's our short-beaked echidna as well so she actually turned 40 this year so that i don't was... believe you by the way i'm just gonna interrupt right now <laughs> i have been to this zoo like a dozen times i have come through with lisa you know who was on the podcast mm-hmm. before i have i have met your wombats i have i've gotten to have some really cool experiences here i have never seen the echidna i'm convinced you just put up a sign and I'll be honest with you, too, since I've only been here a year, the only reason we've seen her is we've had to move her because we were doing some renovations in the wombat enclosure. <laughs> okay, okay. So she's in our back holding area right now until um, we move her back. But before that, I have, didn't see her. I also thought she didn't exist. <laughs> I would get photos from keepers who would do the late shift and they would see her, but I'd be like, yep, I will probably never see her. That's amazing. And That's even really now, funny. like, we don't really see her. Um, we actually have our welfare team doing a lot of um, behavioral studies on her. So we've got to see really cool footage of, like, how she interacts with their environment during the nighttime. Um, but, yeah, in the daytime, I probably only see her when we weigh her. And other than that, she's a myth to me as well. So you're not <laughs> alone there. <laughs> That's actually really funny. Um, tell me tell me a little bit about her, though. Yeah, she's uh, super neat. So we've actually, the coolest thing that I find about her is, um, the study that we're doing with her, especially like with her, she is a little bit chunky right now um, for an echidna. Um, so we're working with our nutrition department to sort of uh, compose a new diet for her to help her lose weight at a steady rate, but still getting all the nutrition that she needs. So through this experience, like we've been able to work with them and they've had, um, a, I think he's um, their nutritional assistant right now. So doing the study and just getting more information on her. But to me, she's still very elusive. Like I've only been, like I've been here a year, and that seems like a long time. But the animals that I work with, like I feel like I know them a lot, but I also feel like I don't. Like I feel, and that's the part I like. I feel like I'm always learning new things, and because we just have so many different species, it's hard to like really learn all of them. So I'm happy that I'm staying with this team until much longer, hopefully, so that I'll get to like now that I know these animals, I can definitely do more background research on them as well but yeah just she's super cool that's all i have to say really about her <laughs> i mean yeah that's fair like monotremes are not you know common animals mm-hmm. to see and that is that is very cool um and tell me about your uh your friends with the butt shields the wombats oh yeah arthur and Matilda, <laughs> they're so cool so um we've been working with them and i think they've been here for i forget how long but i know arthur's been here for a while same with Matilda and 
We've always wanted to breed them. That's kind of been a goal of ours, but it just has never really worked out, whether it's seasonality, um, like we've seen breeding behavior before, but nothing successful has really come from it. I believe our last Joey that we had was, I want to say his name was Hamlet. Maybe it wasn't. I'm not sure, but it was uh, years before I was here at the zoo. Um, But we're hoping that like, you know, like it'd be really cool to have a Joey because Arthur is very valuable when it comes to the genetics of Mm -hmm. it. Like he was, I'm pretty sure from... Australia. Nice. Um, and then he was at Brookfield, and that was where a lot of the population is. They were all rescues. Um, so it's funny that you asked too, because right now we are in the midst of um, we actually just implemented a breeding plan. We did some research, and I've kind of taken it upon it uh, for my team just to like do some research as to how we can maximize their chances of really successfully breeding. So we recently built a new nest box in their indoor holding area, and we've turned over the soil. We actually added a lot more cameras in to see if we can make sure that we're catching the copulation. So when they are breeding, because there's certain things that we're looking for where their development for Joey's only like a month old. So during this time period, like if they do breed, ideally like some of the males won't be disturbing the females, but if they do, that can affect the Joey. So last week we actually saw them breeding for the weekend and it was very, I don't know if you guys have ever seen a wombat breed, but you guys need to look it up. Um, (laughs) There's a lot of noise. It's a little aggressive actually. Okay, okay. Um, but we did see that breeding. So we're hoping that, um, something does come from it. So right now we've separated them again, just to give her time to develop with the Joey. If fingers crossed, if like, if she is pregnant, um, but yeah, I've, again, I've never been a Walmart person, but getting to work with them again, very, they look very cute, very cuddly, but don't like, we work with them as protected contact because they can be quite dangerous too. They're very fast. They're not like cute and cuddly, I would think they're definitely an animal where I would definitely keep my distance for sure. Good to know. Good to know. Also, I like that you're like talking about the things that you did to um, encourage breeding behavior. Yeah. And then you said, and we set up cameras. And I'm like, oh, do they like being on camera? <laughs> oh, no, that's for you guys. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just for us, because we want to observe, no, right, especially yeah. in the nest box too. Like it's hard for us to see, especially like we have so many different animals as much as we'd like to spend all day looking at them, that's just not realistic in what we get to do. Um, so the footage really does help us. But like, I'll be honest, we didn't even look at the footage because when we saw them breed, we could hear them. <laughs> and we were like, okay, we definitely see it coming. <laughs> good, good. Good to know. Good to know. Um, and then can you tell me a little bit about the the Fly River turtles? Yeah, um, their names are Nell and Orville. Um, so... I want to say she's around her mid-teens now, and he's probably close to that age as well. They have not—she's may have laid eggs before. Again, this was before I had started, um, but we recently, just as I was about to start, one of the other keepers who was in our area, she actually put in a beach for them as well. So if you ever do come by our Australasian pavilion, you'll notice that there is a beach there for now. So during the time when she is breeding, like she'll obviously come up. Uh, but for the most part, again, we— want to do I want to do hopefully more training with them as well I feel like targeting they're very food motivated which is really great um and again just seeing the size differential between them so the females are a lot bigger than the males that they have um there's been times I was told that like when it does get a little bit colder in the in the aviary she'll like come up and that one time I keep her like saw her on the pathway just like she just like a normal turtle would come oh out oh my god um, I would lose my freaking mind I know we were like oh like what was she doing there so That's again so it's cool. nothing crazy but we just like put her back in the pool right. but it's really great that again she gets to explore her environment um, but yeah they're also very cool to work Dude, with too <laughs> I would lose my mind like I love when you see like you know turtles wandering around and stuff in aviaries yeah but, like a fly river turtle would because I just I love them so much mm-hmm. I have loved them for a long time um you know very few zoos have sea turtles mm-hmm. which are one of my favorite species and so like fly river turtles are like my zoo version of sea turtles because oh, okay. they're just they, they you know they, they kind yeah. of look similar they're very different but yeah um and then uh on social media earlier this year um the National Aquarium posted a fly river turtle named funzo oh and love that. i forget who it was i forget if it was the rock but like some really big celebrity made fun of it and like was like oh i you know what an ugly or we're talking about a face only mother can i don't know where it was <laughs> but and uh, all of us started being like no funzo is adorable and yeah. like posting pictures of other fly river turtles and it became a thing yeah um, their nose is like my favorite part yeah like, it's so the pig cute nose, right? yes, yeah it's so cute <laughs> i love them so much but um it was fun to see funzo get a little bit of attention and then mm-hmm. other people become more interested in fly river turtles yeah like, it's it's so crazy to me with social media you know i post 
animal videos and content and interaction all the time. And one day I drum with an elephant and it gets like millions and millions and millions of views. All of the stuff that I post is cute, mm-hmm. but for some reason that resonated. And for some reason, one celebrity making fun of one turtle resonated. And now way more people know about Fly River Turtles and are interested in them and conservation. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. But it's also just like the randomness is so crazy sometimes. Like you never know what animal will go viral and no. it'll be the next big thing. Yeah. yeah, you just, you never know. I know that... Um, I'm good friends with some of the team at Cincinnati, and um, obviously Fiona is the star there. But do you know what animal has a single video with more views than any other animal there? It's Rico the porcupine. I feel like I've heard of Rico before somewhere, Of course too. you have because Rico is also famous now. <laughs> but literally, if you go through the Cincinnati Zoo's, like, official page, mm-hmm. the number one most viewed video is of Rico. And then uh-huh. Fiona's, like, two through, like, 47 million. But, Which is hard to believe because Fiona had – I like, her story was a mirror. Like, it was – Yeah. I was, like, captivated just seeing all of that. Yeah. And Rico's, like, real cute. But Rico's yeah. just, like, a prehensile-tailed porcupine. Like, it, you know, does the little, like – eating corn thing like yeah. I mean, it's a, it, don't get me wrong Rico's great but you just you never know what's going to take off and I yeah. just find that so fascinating because it does it has impacts on the zoo mm-hmm. it has impacts on conservation like it it really matters yeah because more know? people know about it and like for me personally like I've never heard of fly river trails until I started working with them I was like what are these right so I think it's like if they ever go viral like more people get to know about them which yeah. is great it's awesome and then that can encourage people to want to come work with them mm-hmm. and then you know all that good stuff yeah, yeah it's it's really uh Really interesting. Um, so before we get to the pandas, because I like to tease my audience, <laughs> um, you know, you mentioned that training is really important for you. So with, with some of the animals maybe that we've talked about or just in general in, in Australasia, uh, tell me a little bit about the training stuff that you're implementing here. Yeah. So since I've joined the team again, my background is I really like birds and that's kind of where I know my strong suit lies. So we have a pair of kookaburras that are here. Their names are Jake and Curry. So I've kind of been working with them, getting some basic behaviors trained um, and it's going really well. So we've had, you know, just your basic scaling, your crating. Um, we've actually gotten to do nail trims now. So I love the fact that like here at the zoo, like we're super collaborative. So I wanted a specific nail trim platform made. I could probably make it, but it would probably not look very great. And it probably <laughs> wouldn't last really long. Um, but Kirk, who works in our exhibit design, I gave him the design. And I was like, could you like create something like this? He like pulled it off in a day. And the power of training again is so cool because I, you know, for a nail trim, you're like, oh, this might take a while. I actually got this behavior down within a weekend. Wow. Having the right, like I knew what I needed to reinforce and like just having the right tool, especially that nail trim, like it was super helpful. So again, working on ways to really give these animals choice and control. Again, they don't have to participate if they don't want to, but I find it really rewarding to see them choose and build that relationship with the two cougars that we have. And then currently, again, I kind of want to make the aviary kind of like a really immersive experience. So I'm currently working on with uh, my team as well with some station training for our Victoria Crown Pigeons. I don't know if before we've actually had four of them that kind of go through and they're pretty comfortable with people. But I, again, kind of want people to get a closer look at them. And we have also a scarlet parrot there. His name is Maverick. Again, very small parrot, very elusive to find. But we worked on a station training platform where you could hold a portable like um, station mm-hmm. and you would fly to it ideally. So if you were to bring it up, that hopefully guests and kids get to see it as well. So a lot of my focal training is on the birds, but I help out with wherever training is necessary elsewhere. So if someone needs help that ruse um, or red pandas, like I kind of jump in there. But right now I'm kind of focusing on the aviary and the birds. That makes sense. Yeah. And it's a great aviary and there's there's lots of birds to mm-hmm. focus on. So that's, I want more birds. I'm sure you do. I'm sure <laughs> you bird nerds are die hard, man. I'll tell you what. I uh I've never met a person who who works with birds and then works with mammals. And even if they also then love their mammals or whatever, mm-hmm. are like, oh yeah, I'm kind of done with birds. It has never happened no. ever. I've met many, met many a person who starts working with birds and is like, I don't like birds and then falls in love with them. But I've never met the reverse yet. Yeah. In, in almost three years of doing this podcast. Yeah. So yeah, that's fair. You that's never forget fair. the first love. So it's like, ah, like a sticks. <laughs> so how do you do a trim on a, a cooker? Like what do you use to, um, to do that? So, um, I actually picked up this nail trimmer from Amazon. It's like the ones that you would use for your cats and dogs, nice. basically. Okay. And it's like a little, um, oh, I'm so bad with tools, but it's is it like a Dremel. Is yeah, it's a Dremel. Oh my god, that's yeah, the yeah. word okay. I was cool, looking cool, cool. for. Yeah. So basically, a Dremel. You can use a regular Dremel too, but I use 
I found this one from Amazon. And basically, I want you guys to picture like a mesh area, but instead of it being flat, it's like a curve. So that's where they'll perch. So that allows me to put the nail trimmer underneath so I can just tap it. Um, but every time I tap it, I reinforce the behavior on top. So again, it allows them to be able to kind of perch on there, but still giving me a lot of um, variability. And again, this behavior, like it, it wasn't novel. Like I'm not going to be like, oh, I came up with this. Like I actually saw another trainer from NEI who actually did a paper on it. And that's what kind of inspired me to like, oh, like I feel like we can do the same thing for kookaburras here. So it's really great that like in our industry, like designs and ideas can be so collaborative and that's where you can just kind of like brainstorm and be like, oh, like we can try this and kind of thing. So, yeah. Very cool. I like that a lot. Um, yeah. How often do you like, you know, spend time collaborating with other keepers or reading papers or stuff like that to just kind of, you know, keep your education going and seeing what else people are doing and all that. Mm -hmm. I find it for myself. I follow a lot of zoos on social media. So I find that when they always post like a cute video of training, like that kind of, um, I kind of like put it in the back of my mind or I like, I'll save the post and I'll bring it up. Like I'll literally share it with my team. Um, but just as a team, we're very open about like what we want. And then we kind of will bring in different ideas. Cause I find that, your team is only as strong as the players that you have. And I think it's great that we have people with different skill sets. Like it's great to have people who have different strengths. So being able to collaborate that is super important. But I also find conference life, like whether it's um, AZAC or IAAZE, like when people present papers, like it really just like, it doesn't have to be a species that you work with, but you can kind of take that idea and kind of run with it. Um, so I kind of find a lot of it is through connecting with people from different zoos but also internally on our team, I think social media has played a huge part for myself anyways. Yeah. That's really cool. I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I, I think, yeah, I think social media can do a lot of good and a lot of, you know, not that. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's very cool to hear that it is doing good in that, that area. Um, and actually, I'm going to use that as a transition. So speaking of social media, I would like to start to talk about the pandas. Mm -hmm. And if it's okay, what I'd like to start with is, is the sad side of the story. Mm. Um, so earlier this year, and we'll, we'll get to the happy and we'll get to the two pandas that are here. But um, earlier this year, you all had a, a panda cub and, um, and unfortunately that cub passed away. And I would love for you to talk to me about that story and what happened and like be real. Like everyone who listens to this podcast is here because we love what y'all do. We understand these things will happen. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's important to show what that feels like, you know, and all of that. And also um, I know that there were some concentrated efforts on Twitter and and such to – kind of try to slam the zoo and like say like, oh, this is proof that it's a bad zoo, which is obviously not the case. Mm -hmm. um, does that kind of stuff affect you? Does it affect any of the team? I'd love to hear about all of this. Yeah, this loss definitely affects not just our team, like our team, like we all felt it, but people who also were involved in a story. I felt like a lot of my close friends, my family, and just on social media, seeing the outpour, like people were following his journey too. So it was such a huge loss for everyone. Um, but yeah, like, I feel like when we sign up to work with animals, we know like the hardest part is when you lose the animal. And that's something that we know, like I, I knew like, you know, animals are worth, eventually it comes to the point where, you know, they pass on. And I actually had a, another loss before where I've experienced and it was quite tough to deal with. Um, and I, you know, was able to work through my feelings. So I think that's important is talking through them and working through them because, you know, if it's, it happens and I think it's important that I'm able to work through them so that I can move forward as well. But it doesn't, just because I have the skills here, doesn't mean it makes it any easier as well. And I think for our team and just like speaking for myself, like I just, we didn't see this coming. Like we knew that like during this time period when they're weaning off mom, it's a very critical period. Um, especially when they're not like getting mom's maternal antibodies um, and they're ideally supposed to developing their own immune system, right? So I think essentially that's what had happened to Dash um, or as I like to call him, uh, Spicy Boy. Um, <laughs> I just like, because we had a naming contest, but like we couldn't like name him, but I would just call him Spicy Boy. <laughs> um, but yeah, just like, I, I just never saw it coming and it just made it so hard to deal with. Like it just... Like it was that day I remember like I it was me and a coworker. We had walked into the Red Panda house and 
like when we walked in, like we knew something was wrong because um, Paprika, the mom, was vocalizing and that usually never happens. So we had like went into the enclosure, obviously, like to check on Dash and he just was like not looking great. So we immediately like got our vet team. They were super quick, brought him over here to our wildlife health center and he was stable for a little bit. But at the end, like it just it wasn't enough and he did pass away. And I think. Yeah, like, I still, like, the other day, I, like, saw a photo of him. Like, I take a lot of photos of him, and I was just going through my phone. And I, like, I I thought I'd be okay, and I, I'd still, I'm i still sad. Like, you know, like, it's definitely not easy. Um, and again, I just didn't expect it. Like, I think none of us expected it. But I will say, like, the team that I work with in Australasia, they are incredible. The most supportive people that you can have, they're always there for you. And I definitely don't think I could have gone through this point without their support and their love. And I think we were all there for each other, which was really important. Even those individuals who um, weren't like, um, cause we all work with these animals and you know, some people have animals that they really like. Right. Yeah. But everyone just like came together for each other. And I think that what that made me very thankful that I had this team to go through this together. Like again, very unfortunate, but you know, I, tend to I want to focus on the really good times that we had. This was the first Red Panda Cup that I've ever been involved with. Like this is the first time I've ever I've ever worked with Red Pandas too. So um yeah, like I just it was very sad, but I I'm very thankful that I got to be a part of it as well. So and hopefully we can learn something because my understanding too is red pandas in human care, right? This is like there's many success stories, but there's also stories that aren't very successful mm-hmm. as well. So hopefully we can learn from this and pass that information on to other facilities who might be going through the same thing, who are expecting babies, and that it hopefully minimizes that in the future. So, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I was, yeah, I was devastated. I was following along. I even... um may or may not have have learned the name before it officially became an official <laughs> thing. It's nice to know people in the zoo world. Um and and so yeah, I um cuz I know when I first reached out to try to do this interview. I mean, it's taken us a while to get this yes. going, which it happens, but it was because like of Dash, Dash exists yeah. and I was like I want to come, I want to let's talk about Dash. And mm-hmm. This wasn't quite how I wanted to talk about it, but I also think that's such a great like you know, if you're listening to this interview, you just had to go on and you just have to do it. And now we're talking about what that was like and how that can affect you when really this was supposed to be an interview to celebrate, yeah. you know, the birth of a red panda, which is is great. But um, was it like hard the rest of the day to like, I mean, because you oh, absolutely. take care of other animals. I, it was definitely hard. Um, I mean, I felt like the first week was really bad for me personally. Like I remember the next day. We have these Hill Street meetings at the Toronto Zoo where we'll have different areas, like everyone in wildlife care is there. And then they'll go through like a report where they summarize like main points. And the next day, obviously, they like had to report it that like he had passed away. And even when the supervisor said that, I like could not hold it together. I literally burst in tears and I had to like excuse myself to the bathroom and whatnot. It was a moment. Um, And I thought I was like, oh, like I can like control it but like sometimes the feelings just catch up with you and it just like and it was such a strange time because it happened like we had keepers that were either on vacation and they were coming back so like they were trying to process it too right and it was unfortunate like that they had to like find out as well because everyone was so invested so I think we all processed it differently at different times but um now I would say like I think it took me at least a week really to like kind of feel and control my feelings a lot better um but it again it's always different and i you know i thought i'd be like oh i'd be strong enough but like honestly like no i just like i felt a lot better just letting it out too and people who work in this industry like don't keep it bottled up inside just like let it out like yeah it's It's so real and yeah it was definitely one of that was probably one of the toughest days at work for me this year, for sure. Oh, I believe yeah. it. I mean, yeah. Um, this has been a big year for grief for me as mm-hmm. well. Um, lost a, a, a dog I was in love with. Lost my grandfather. Oh, I'm um, sorry. Yeah. You know, it, it happens. Thank you. They were at least older and expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandfather was weirdly not a baby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, one of the things that I have found so interesting as I travel these zoos and I get to know animals um, 
and then they that, that happens and it just gets announced on social media. Like one of the weirdest things to me is that we have this weird asynchronous communication now where like I'll wake up and like pull up Twitter while like taking a pee in the morning and like, oh, Dash is gone. And that's going to affect my entire day wherever mm-hmm. I am in the country. Not nearly as much as you. I'm not trying to. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, no. But you do. You build these relationships with animals and you get to know them. Or in this case, I never met Dash, but just like know of Dash yeah. and watch pictures. That was to the point where I could flip through Insta. And if I saw a photo of, of Dash, I knew it was Dash. Yeah. Um, as soon as I saw Suva's face today, I knew it was Suva. <laughs> like you get to know these yeah. animals, you know. And um, it's been really interesting having that happen. Um, and also, I mean – Honestly, I got a text message to find out that my grandfather died. It mm. just came in asynchronous. It wasn't a like phone call warning. What are you doing? Everything okay? Yeah. I got a text message. That's tough. That's weird. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I was playing fetch with my dog. There was I collapsed in the yard and cried. Like yeah. holy crap. You know. <laughs> um, and I, I do think it's an interesting side to social media that like. You're right. These people, you know, people, fans, we care. We fall in love with these animals. We relate. We we look out for them. And then just like whatever you're doing in the day, suddenly like the news hits you. And it, it didn't used to be that way. Yeah. And I, I think it's very interesting how we as humans are just like having to adapt to like getting gut punches in the middle of the day or whatever, you know, or start of the day. Yeah. No, it's a hard feeling. Yeah. And like – I think a lot of people, especially those that listen, I assume like understand like when we work with animals, like they're not just – they're our family. Like these animals are our family. I feel like I spend more time with the animals I work with than like some of my friends and whatnot, right? Like it's just who we are and we have so many of them and it's like – it's like honestly like like it felt like losing a coworker. Like it was a very tough feeling and um, yeah, the feelings just – again, I know my strengths and where I – focus on and how I process grief as well, which is important. But um, our zoo was really great. They got people, um, grief counselors to help. If you wanted to talk about it, you didn't have to, wow. but like if you didn't. So I really appreciated that aspect too, because, you know, we all deal with it differently. And I think everyone should be provided with those options. So, yeah. That's really cool mm-hmm. that the zoo did that. I yeah. do love that. Um, and okay. So uh, before we move on to the happier panda stuff, because we will, I <laughs> yeah. promise. Um, I just, I, you know, I want people to realize how real this is. Um, but and like I said, then I know that there was at least on Twitter a pretty concentrated um, attack on the zoo from your standard anti-captivity people. And I mean, I've literally had to report someone to the police for threatening my life because I make this podcast and I went mm-hmm. and drummed with an elephant. And that I literally received death threats for that. So like – I know how crazy it can be, but are were, were y'all aware of that and and did it affect y'all or were you just like, you know, is it just like ugh, those people at this point, you know? I wasn't aware of any stuff that was happening on Twitter. Um, and I think working in this industry, we definitely have those individuals and I am the type to always, you know, I everyone has their own point of view and I need to respect that as well. But my job is to hopefully provide insight. Like, I'm not trying to change your mind overnight or anything like that or at all. But I want you to be more informed. I want you to understand what we're doing. And I know that for a fact that, like, I believe in what I'm doing and what I'm contributing to. Like, at the end of the day, I can go home and I can say that, like, I'm not just, like, at work for work. Like, I feel like I am contributing to something bigger than what I am. And that's really important to myself as an individual, so, like, things like this, they're almost, like, white noise to me, but I am very aware of it because part of my job is to um, help people be more informed, to hopefully open up their minds a little bit. And, again, not to change minds, but to hopefully um, just educate people, right? Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes if you don't know something, you're quick to um, make a judgment, make um, an assumption. But the more you know, the more sympathetic, hopefully, you can understand, you know, why we're doing this, right? So. I'm a huge proponent of getting to know the individual and understanding um, what where they're coming from. Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think when, when people reach out to me with that um, kind of abusive nature, I'm willing to give it a shot. I, I way too frequently dive into a conversation and try to, you know, I've got my facts. I got my figures. I, I, I'm mm-hmm. even happy to point people to certain episodes where we talk about that kind of stuff a little bit, whatever. But I'm also happy to have the conversation until it suddenly becomes, you know, a bunch of cursing and you're an a-hole and blah, blah. And mm-hmm. then it's like, okay, if you just want to be abusive because 
people are bullies online. It's a thing. Yeah. I'm not interested in playing <laughs> that game. But if people are willing to listen, I think it is important to educate yeah. people. I think it is, you know, I consider myself an educator with this podcast and, and zookeepers are educators. And I do think it is important to um, not just preach to the choir. You yeah. Know? So I, I agree with you there. But also while taking self-care into consideration and knowing that like – they're crazy is about everything and, you know. Exactly. And, and there are people who have real issues and like, yeah, you got to be careful. Yeah. And I can only control what my actions and I can't, like, you know what I mean? Like, can't do anything about anyone else kind of thing, right? And I think at the end of the day, like, self-care is important and you just can, you can only, you try your best. And if you can make one difference, it doesn't have to be a, a thousand. If you can just make one like that to me as a win. So yeah, absolutely. Love that. All right, come on, let's get happy. Tell me. <laughs> so we have two amazing pandas here. Yes. Um, and so I want all of the details on both of them. And you got to start off with my boy Suva. Okay, absolutely. We'll start off with Suva because my whole team knows this too. He is absolutely my favorite animal to work with. I just find him so endearing. Just the way when I look at him, like, I don't know, maybe it's just me anthropomorphizing him just a little bit, but He's very like he makes me happy when I see him when he do when he does things it just makes me really happy. Um, working because we had a deer here before, so we got three adult red pandas. So they all have very different personalities. I find that Suva can be a little bit reserved at times. He's not the one to be very much like um, he's not as confident as Paprika, let's say. Um, but he's very charismatic in his own way. I think. I think he's really good looking too. Okay, I won't well, even so lie. <laughs> literally, like my top five most liked photos. Are all of Suva. <laughs> no joke. It is astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. He is he's a king. He, he is, is the most handsome yeah. panda. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just find that working with him is really nice. I find like, I guess little quirks that I like him is that he kind of has a little bit of an overbite. Um, <laughs> it's so cute. Yeah. Though. I have an overbite too. So there's nothing against overbite. So I have an overbite <laughs> too. But I find that when he eats his, um, his fruits, he like munches and then all the saliva just drips and it just like... <laughs> Like, every time a photo, you can see when he's been eating. It's just so funny. Um, and he, like, again, I find that he's very inquisitive about certain things. And he kind of, like, he knows who he is, too. So, um, but, yeah, I love working with him. I think, like, I love birds. Like, I tell you, I, like, I love working with birds. But the favorite, like, he is my favorite animal in our area, for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. They can do that too. Like I know uh, you met Zoe, my wife earlier, mm-hmm. and you know her favorite animals are dogs and cheetahs, but also um, Slash, the red panda at Elmwood Park Zoo is yeah. like her favorite zoo animal. And we love Slash and Slash helped me propose. Like it's a thing. Aww, and you, you, it is cute, but you would normally think like, shouldn't I have worked out something with like one of the ambassador cheetahs somewhere? Like mm-hmm. I have connections, but no, even though cheetahs and dogs are her favorites slash was the animal it's like that weird yeah. thing of like it's not the species it's the individual yeah, like, yeah i don't know why i like him i just like him a lot like yeah, <laughs> yeah no suva is ridiculous um it's interesting too um some of the photos that i've gotten of him so when i first came here when suva was here the first time i was here that suva was here um he was down on the ground in mm-hmm. the enclosure that paprika's in now and um i like leaned over like not inappropriately but like kind of as far as i could appropriately and was trying to take pictures of his face when he was down there. And he looked right up at me. He came right up to me. He was, like, really inquisitive about mm-hmm. it. I got some really cool photos. Those are some of the ones that are really popular. And then it almost, like, seemed to register to him, like, oh, wait, what am I doing? And he shot up a tree. But, I mean, he he did it multiple times. He was doing some laps and moving around and stuff. And he kept coming over to me and seemed really interested. I was like, oh, you're, like, a super brave panda. And then from talking to Lisa and now talking to you, I, he's not. And yet, you yeah, know, I don't know what it was, but we connected in that moment. So now, of course, knowing that now I'm extra in love with him because I'm like, oh, we're buds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I find that he's very aware of his surroundings and he's always like, you can tell that when he's like looking around, like his ears kind of point up and I can tell like something is, or he sees something that I don't see. Um, but yeah, he's just like, not the most confident for sure, <laughs> but he's just like, his vibe to me is very like relaxed and chill as well. He's not high energy. He will spend most of his time up in the trees and like that's where he's the happiest I find. And in the summertime, like he has, we have this like two by four platform inside where where there's air conditioning and he just like, when it gets hot, that's his favorite spot. He just like lies there and he just like melts. And I find that just like so adorable. (laughs) That's awesome. And then tell me about Paprika. Oh, Paprika is super cool. I love her too. I know I say Suva is my favorite, but Paps, like I I love her. Like I call her short (laughs) Paps. Um, But her and I kind of started back at the zoo in wildlife care at the same time I was telling um, 
that like she was in the she quarantined when I was in the healthcare unit, and then we both went over to Australasia at the same time. That is so yeah. Like every keeper that I talk to has a secret like jealousy of the fact that they get a new animal. But they don't get to know it because the quarantine yeah, team exactly. goes first. And you got that's so I got cool. the privilege yeah. of doing that. So that was super cool. But yeah, she's the quite opposite. She's so confident. She like nothing really phases her. Like if we have new people that come in, like she is more than happy to come up to you. She nothing like really like scares her at really. Um, and then I believe it was the Edmonton Valley Zoo is where she came from. And the keepers are did a great job with her too. Like she is so well trained. Like if you were do crating with her, scaling, like she is super good with that. And she's just like, she was a great mom too. And that to me was such a, an- another blessing that I got to see a different side of her that I didn't get to see. Um, and especially during breeding with her and Suva, she would like tell him like, that's not like she, she like had the, what do you call it? She held the reins in that relationship. Nice, like, okay. absolutely. Like, just super cool to see that she was such a great mom, too. And I find that, yeah, she's very fearless is how I would describe her. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's very cool. And um, is there going to hopefully be another, uh, like, a breeding wreck? Do they, or not will there be, but do they have another breeding wreck? Or, you know? Yeah, I actually don't know what the recommendations are. I feel that, like... Hopefully we'll get to keep her as well because I know Suva is quite high. I was going to say well. I know that Suva is yeah. valuable. Why do I know that Suva is valuable? Anyway, sometimes I question my life choices. Yeah, <laughs> but that just that's a weird thing that I know. But yeah, I know that he is like near the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's so, near the yeah. top. So I like I don't know if we they would want to have her breed again or if they would bring in another female as well. So that's kind of up in the air, and I don't know too much about that. Um, but again, it would be really cool to see, like, again, if she were to have a baby again, or even if another offspring for Suva, like, just to add more genetics, right? And yeah, another cub would be really cute. <laughs> so, so that doesn't scare you off then? What happened? No, you know what? It's a very sad what had happened. But to me, again, I'm, we hopefully like we can learn from that situation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the beauty of what we get to do, like, like seeing new life seeing new animals, I think that to me trumps the part that does scare me. And I think, and it doesn't scare me because I, I got through it. So I, hopefully it doesn't happen again. I definitely don't want to go through that again, but, but I know that I have a great team and that I'm strong enough to carry through that as well. So I just want to be able to, um, create new memories too, at the same time. Right. Oh yeah, totally. That makes sense to me. Did the zoo announce exactly what happened? Like, do y'all know exactly what happened? So we are actually still waiting for results. Like for myself, uh, we're not conclusive. Like what I can, like what we're guessing. And for the most part is that decrease in the immune system Mm -hmm. and um, not being able to handle whatever that he might've caught. So hopefully we'll have more answers too, because we're waiting for them because I don't have them either. Wow. That's Um, actually fascinating to me. Yeah. We don't have them right now. So again, we're working with our vet team. Like again, whenever they find out, they'll let us know too, so that we can have a plan like moving forward. Um, but at this point too, like, um, we were very concerned again with Paprika and Suva after he had passed away. Like, is it, could it be transferable? Like what it was, but, um, because their immune systems were strong enough that they probably overcame it or whatever it was, but, um, he just didn't have those antibodies. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's really, that's, that's, that's. That's tough, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it happens. I know that in general, I think it's both captive and in the wild, but like one out of five panda cubs survive. So Mm -hmm. like, it's, it's not great. Yeah. Great. Um, but yeah. Okay, cool. So, um, you had mentioned to me that, that your team, and I think Lisa spearheaded this, uh, was able to make something happen this year where y'all got a grant for, uh, and were able to donate to Red Panda Network or something. Tell me about that. Yeah. So Lisa is amazing first of all she lo- is yeah. amazing shout out to lisa um she's super passionate about red pandas and i really admire that about her um but here at the zoo we used to do like keeper days where you get to raise money um animal awareness days um but we've moved forward from that where we have money that's set aside and if keepers are very passionate about a certain organization they will be able they have the opportunity to pitch and I, an organization that we should be donating to. So Lisa uh, took it upon herself to pitch for the Red Panda Network again. And of course, her hard work paid off and she was able to get this money for the Red Panda Network to donate on behalf of the Toronto Zoo, which is amazing. 
Um, and this money, again, goes to help red pandas in the wild and the network in terms of getting resources so that they can help sustain whatever work they're doing out there. Because it'd be great if I could help, like if we could go there, like I would love to see them in the wild. But I think, you know, that's not realistic. Like this is what we can do to help contribute to support those that are doing the work. I find that a lot of people ask me, like, well, how can I re- help red pandas? It's like, well, you can like go out in the field and help. But realistically speaking, like monetary value to help those organizations go such a long way. Yes, so, yeah, Red Panda Network's incredible. I volunteer for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm just like a writing volunteer and a zoo coordinator and all kinds of stuff. But I just, hey, they do amazing work. They do such great in-situ conservation work and um, constantly thinking about things I never would, like taking care of the community out there, like the human community out there, Yeah, uh, to stop poaching and doing all kinds of great stuff. So yeah, and that that's awesome that uh, your team was able to to make that happen. Yeah. And yay, go Lisa. Yeah, Lisa spearheaded that. Credits to Lisa. Lisa's is the best. That's awesome. If y'all are listening and you don't know who I'm talking about, um, early in the first season, I think in my first 15 episodes or so, uh, Lisa Termini, who is also on the team here, um, we did an episode together and you will love it. And it is awesome. If you haven't checked it out, go back and check it out because she is just great. Um, and are there any conservation organizations other than Red Band and Network that you want to give a shout out to? Uh, no, that's like the main one that Great, I, I definitely that. want to shout out to. Again, it's like that newfound love that I have for Red Pandas, and I would love to, you know, contribute more and help them out. So shout out to Red Panda Network. Woo, yeah. I love that. All right. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're going to laugh and say, oh, no. It's time for the Rossifari Poop Story. Oh, that's a good one. So I feel like... The worst poop I ever got, and I remember this too because there was a photo that I posted. It was like um, when I was working at NEI with Winged Encounters. So we again, there are over, um, I would say like at that time, there was like 90 macaws all split into three really big aviaries. We would get pooped on every day. It was kind <laughs> of expected that you would get pooped on. But the one day I like did my hair and everything. I had my show uniform on and I was helping like load birds for the show or whatnot. But I got the biggest poop I've ever seen. It like went across my back, all <laughs> over me. Like like I like I've never seen a macaw poop this much. It was like it like pooped out like another macaw at this point. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was on the back, and I won't forget it. And there's definitely, and I remember that one the most because again, I just like it was so big. I've definitely had poop accidentally close to touching my face very close to I've had it in my hair um but I will say that it just like that po- photo actually popped up again in my kind of like my memories and I just am like I think I posted that photo and I was like I'm so thankful it was like international bird day or something I'm like I'm so thankful for birds like <laughs> um but it was a great moment and I definitely will remember it as well yeah. Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to do this. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was my first podcast, so it was super cool. <laughs> well, welcome. You did great. I just really enjoyed that episode. Shocker, right? Talking about red pandas and other cool animals made me happy. I know. It's a shocker. But um, I do I, – I love that uh, Robert is willing to be open and a little vulnerable about, you know, the tough parts as well as the incredible parts of, of the job. And um, I'm grateful to the Toronto Zoo for being such an awesome and transparent uh, facility. You know, they shared about uh, Dash from day one and they were very honest about it and um, – I just I think the best zoos are the zoos that let these stories be out there and be told. I think that honesty and um, transparency are the things that fight the anti-captivity movement better than anything. And Toronto is always an amazing um, example of that. So just grateful that Toronto is so awesome and that I'm able to go visit there from time to time. This is this already just doing this episode. I'm like, I wonder when I can drive up next week because it's been a minute and I would like to go back to the Toronto Zoo, please. Before I let you go, I wanted to remind you that I do have a Patreon and you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month by going to patreon.com slash Safari. And if you go there, you will get bonus content from some of my interview episodes as well as some other cool stuff, uh, including this one. Um, yeah, so Robert uh, took a little time to talk to me both about what it is like to um, be Asian and working in 
in the uh, zookeeping field because that is not something you see a ton of. And also uh, gave some tips on how to apply the training stuff that you hear in these episodes to your own animals or humans. And uh, suffice to say, it gets pretty silly by the end because I'm a goofball and we were having some fun. So uh, that's always a really good time. And uh, if you're a patron, you can go and check that out as well as much other bonus audio content from other episodes. And speaking of Patreon, I'd like to say thank you to Laura Shank and Kristen Dickey, who are my Red Panda level patrons. Uh, that's the highest level that that you can be on my Patreon. I, I appreciate you both so much for that extra level of support, and uh, y'all are awesome. Finally, friends, please keep in mind that the word credits backwards is Steiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.